Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. This morning, we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 15 specifically. But before we get into that, I kind of want to paint the picture for you of what the context is, what was happening in Genesis chapter 14. In Genesis chapter 14, Abram has heard word that there was this great war that took place around the Dead Sea. And there were five kings that were kind of subservient to four kings, and they'd been so for 12 years. And in the 12th year, they'd had enough. And so they banded together these five kings to wage war against four kings in order to try to liberate their peoples. It just so happens that two of those five kings that went into this war were the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah. And so this battle takes place at the Dead Sea, and the four kings who were ruling and reigning, they defeated the five kings and took those kingdoms and all of their property captive. Abram hears word of this because remember his nephew Lot had settled in the region of Sodom. So Lot, who is the closest thing that Abram has to a son at this time, it was his brother's son. He didn't have a child of his own. He's grieved over the fact that his nephew has been taken captive prisoner by these four kings. So he takes 318 of his own men. He arms them, and by the cover of night, he goes into the camp of these four kings, and he liberates, he frees his nephew Lot and all of his nephew's household and all of their possessions, and he's headed back home. Now, on the way back home, he's met by two kings, one of them being the king of Sodom, the other being the king of Salem by the name of Melchizedek. Now, the name Melchizedek literally means king is righteousness. The king is righteousness. Salem means peace. So we have the king of righteousness and peace, and then you have the king of Sodom, who's a type, a picture of Satan, a type of a picture of sin, worldliness, wickedness, carnality, the flesh. And the king of Sodom meets Abram on the way back home while he's liberating his nephew. And he has all of the people and all of the spoils in tow. And the king of Sodom approaches Abram and says to Abram, give me the people and you can keep the spoils. Now, in the original language in the Hebrew, the word for people literally can be translated souls. So the king of Sodom, a picture of Satan, says to Abram, give me the souls and I'll let you have the riches of the world. Now, the king of Salem, the king of righteousness, the king that comes out named Melchizedek, he meets Abram and he carries with him a cup of wine and bread, which speaks of communion, which speaks of the sacrifice of Christ. And the scripture says that when faced with this choice between the world and the world's riches and sin and carnality and all that the world can offer and righteousness, Abram in that moment chooses righteousness. And it says that he worships the king of Salem, Melchizedek, and he gives a tenth of all of his possessions. He tithes to the king of Melchizedek. Many Bible commentators believe that this is a Christophany, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. Are you with me? So it's in this scene, in this setting, where we pick it up in Genesis chapter 15. We're going to read the first six verses together if you're there. Genesis chapter 15. After these things, after 
this incredible encounter with these two kings after the liberation of his nephew Lot, after that happened, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar from Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside, and he said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now look at me just for a moment here. What we're going to see and what I feel like the Lord has impressed upon my heart to communicate to us today is a reminder of who God is. See, our God is a God who makes promises, but even bigger than that, even better than that, even more important than the fact that our God is a God who makes promises, our God is a God who keeps promises. Now, can't you identify, can't you relate to where Abram is at? Have you ever had one of those mountaintop experiences? You go to some sort of retreat or some sort of camp or you've been inside a worship service, maybe like what happened last week or what happened here this morning and you're touched by the Lord and you're raising your hands and you're lifting your voice, you're kneeling before God, you're being ministered to by the Holy Spirit and you have this mountaintop experience. You don't think you can ever get any closer to God than that moment and you come back down from that conference or that camp, or you leave that service, and what happens? Attack. The enemy meets you in that place and wants to rob you of that joy, wants to rob you of that work of the Spirit that should have happened in your heart, right? That we see this happen throughout Scripture. Elijah, the great prophet, he goes and he does battle with the 450 prophets of Baal. And if you read the story, you can read it later, 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19. Right? He goes and God shows up in a radical way. God consumes Elijah's sacrifice, even though the 450 prophets of Baal, they've been shouting around, crying out, cutting themselves, trying to get their God's attention. Elijah prays a simple prayer. God, I know that you are the one true God. And whoo, fire consumes his sacrifice. Right? The people, in response to that, acknowledge what God has just done. And they say, Elijah's God is the real God. And Elijah says, bind those prophets, bring them before me. And all 450 false prophets, idolaters, are slain in the presence of Elijah. Now Jezebel, the wicked queen, during those days, hears of what has happened. And she was one who worshipped Baal herself. Those were her prophets. Those were the prophets that led in her religion. She hears what has happened and she says that she will make Elijah as one of them by the next morning. And Elijah hears that and immediately he's stricken with fear. And it says that he runs into the wilderness and he sits under a tree and he says to God, God, just slay me now because if you don't kill me, this wicked woman's going to kill me. What an amazing shift of events. He has this amazing moment. This incredible thing happens. Miraculous fire comes from heaven, consumes his offering. And the very next moment, he's in the wilderness sitting under a tree wishing he were dead. Do you see what happened here, Genesis chapter 15? After these things, after that miraculous victory, Abraham took 318 men and defeated four kings who had just defeated five others with 318 men. It doesn't get much more miraculous than that. He has just seen the glory of God come to defense of his people. 
And the very next moment, it says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision and said, fear not. Don't be afraid, Abram. What, what's Abraham afraid of? What's Abram afraid of? He's afraid that those four kings are going to come and they're going to exact revenge. What if those four kings come back and we're not prepared? What if we can't handle it? We had the cover of night. We had the element of surprise. We won't have those things the next time. What if those kings come after me and I'm not prepared for it and I can't handle it? And he becomes afraid. See, the first promise that you have to see here is God has given Abram a promise that he's going to have descendants. He has said this is a promise. And in order to rob Abram of that joy, the enemy comes and tempts Abram with fear. And Abram struggles with fear. Maybe you're here this morning and this is one of the main things you're struggling with. It's easy to see how it's possible in our culture. I mean, you read the news or you watch the news and all this stuff about viruses and sicknesses and world economies and all of this stuff. And all of, it, all of it's doing this. It's just trickling into you. Be afraid. Be afraid. Be afraid. Take your eyes off of God. Put your eyes on man. Put your eyes on the world. What's happening in your head is you're being distracted from the glory and the grandeur of God and you're afraid of what's happening in this world and he rules and he reigns in this world. Right? You remember Jesus, he has this amazing experience where the Holy Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove, and this voice is heard from heaven, this is my beloved son. And in the very next chapter, in Matthew chapter four, he's led to the wilderness where he's fasting for 40 days, and once he's done fasting, the enemy comes to Jesus, and he whispers to Jesus, you must be really hungry. If you really are the son of God, why don't you turn these stones into some bread so that you can eat? And Jesus replies, the word says that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so the enemy says, all right. Well, he takes him to the temple, pinnacle of the temple, and he sets him up there. And he says, all right, if you really are who you say you are, why don't you jump off, off of the temple? Because the same word you just quoted also says that God is going to give his angels charge over you, and you won't be able to dash your foot against a stone. Angels will come and rescue you. Then everyone will know that who you are. And Jesus says to the enemy who's tempting him, he says, you know what? The scripture also says that you should not tempt the Lord your God. A third time the enemy comes to tempt Jesus and he takes him to the top of a mountain and he says, look out at all of the kingdoms of the world. All of these kingdoms I will give to you in this moment if you'll just bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, away with you, Satan. The scripture says you shall worship the Lord your God alone and him only shall you serve. And then it says, the scripture tells us that angels came and they begin to minister to Jesus. But have you seen this happen in your life? You have this amazing victory, this amazing experience, and then what comes right on the heels of that is just this dreadful fear, these dreadful thoughts, and the enemy's trying to rob you of that joy. The Lord wants you to know this morning that he's got you, that he's a God who makes promises, but he's also a God who keeps promises. It doesn't matter how big your enemy might be, your God is bigger than your enemy Listen to what happens in, in Mark chapter 4. Jesus tells his disciples, I want you to set out across the sea. We're going to the other side. They're on the boat. They're rowing. A great wind arises. There's a storm happening. Water's flooding and filling the boat. It begins to sink. The disciples are bailing water out. And they come to Jesus, who is asleep on a cushion in the bow of the boat. And they wake him and they say, Jesus, do you not care that we are perishing? 
We're going to die sinking on the sea because of this storm. Jesus stands from his place. The scripture says he rebukes the winds and the waves and immediately it stills and the disciples are amazed and they reason within themselves, who could this man be that even the wind and the waves obey him? Jesus looks to his disciples and this is what he says. And he says, why were you so afraid? As if to say, did I not say we were going to the other side of the sea? Did I not tell you that we would make it to the other side? Why are you not believing in my word that I have spoken? Why are you doubting in my promises? Now, I want to kind of drive this home this morning. This is a video I've shown before, but it's probably been five years since I've shown this video. So I'm going to show this video again. While you're watching this video, I want you to watch the face of my daughter. We're on a roller coaster all right? She was about five years old at Knott's Berry Farm. The thing said she was tall enough. The thrill said it was like a two or a three. I thought this should be safe for my daughter. But when you watch her face, you're going to see that this was not a safe place for my daughter, right? Now, here's what I want you to know when you watch this video, though, is that her dad was sitting next to her the whole time. And I didn't even see what was happening in my peripheral because my attention was focused on my daughter. Because my daughter was afraid, and my daughter was hurting, and my daughter was confused. She didn't know what was going on. And so my attention with my father's heart was focused on my daughter in the midst of her trial, in the midst of her fear, and I spoke to her. Let's watch this video. It looks pretty safe at this point, doesn't it? Right? We're climbing She's pretty excited. I'm holding her hand. She's holding my hand tightly. But things are going to change in just a moment. Watch when this thing starts spinning. Watch her face. And at this point, I'm thinking, what have I done to my daughter? And so I'm watching her. And you can't hear it, but what I'm saying is I'm right here. You don't have to be afraid. Your dad is here. Look at her face. Look at this. Watch out. Oh, the G-forces are getting her face, right? Now, okay, it stopped. Okay, all right. Everything is all right. You're just fine. You don't have to worry. We made it. She's checking to make sure her face is still there. <laughs> right? So, now, listen. This is what I want you to see from this. The father never left her side. And throughout the entire ride, I'm looking at her and I'm saying, I'm right here. You're okay. You're safe. Don't be afraid. It's almost over. It's okay. Your dad is right here. You're safe. Don't be afraid. It's okay. I'm right here. Your dad is here. You're safe. You do not need to be afraid. And that is what the Lord is saying to you. Fear not. The scriptures declare over 365 times. There's enough for one time per day in a year declares, do not be afraid, be not afraid, do not fear. That's how many times the scripture says it. If you read it, through, you can have one for every day of the year to remind you. And so what does God do here in the midst of this? Abraham is afraid. What if the kings return? What if I can't handle that oppression? What if I can't handle that battle the second time around? And so what God does is he graciously reminds Abram who he is. He says, Abram, don't be afraid. Let me remind you who I am. Let me remind you that I've got you. He says, Abram, look at verse 1. Fear not. 
I am your shield, your reward will be very great. Other versions say, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. What does the Lord say to Abram? He says, Abram, remember, I'm your shield. I am your protector. Nothing can touch you that I do not allow. I've got you in the palm of my hand. You are safe when you're in the center of my will. You don't have to worry not a bit. doesn't matter how many kings come against you because I am standing before you. I am your shield. In between them, in between the enemy and you, I stand as a blockade, as a shield. Listen to what it says in Psalm chapter 91. You can write that down if you want to read it all later, but let me just read some of this to you. It says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the deadly pestilence. Is that not appropriate in today's culture, today's day? From the deadly pestilence, he will cover you with his pinions and under the wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day nor pestilence that stalks in darkness nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near to you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. The Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. Anyone with me this morning that wants to claim that? Say, Lord, that's for me. Lord, that word is for me, right? So the Lord, he says, I'm your protector. I I don't want you to lose sight of this. I'm the one, I've got your back. You don't need to be afraid. Secondly, he says, I'm your reward. Other words, I'm your prize, protector and prize. The scripture says this in 1 Corinthians chapter nine, "Do, uh, do you not know that everyone who runs in a race runs to obtain the prize? Why run the race if you're not trying to win the race? Right Now, what the Lord is saying here in Genesis 15 to Abram is he's saying, at the end of the race, the prize that is waiting for you is me, my presence. I want to give myself to you. I am your exceedingly great reward. That's a prize that is worth running for, if you ask me. That is a prize that is worth my exhortation. I'm going to exert myself to the point of sweating, to the point of exhaustion, because I know that the, the hope that is waiting for me is the presence of God himself. I will run until I can't run anymore because that's what I'm running for. This is what Paul said. He said this in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. That the crown that is waiting for you and for me is his presence. That's what I want. That's what I want for you. God himself is our reward. Jesus would say, if you're hungry, I'm the bread of life. If you're suffering in depression and darkness of spirit or emotion, I'm the light of the world. Jesus would say to you, if you're feeling your way around and you feel like you're lost, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you're grieving or mourning death, Jesus would say to you, I am the resurrection and the life. I am what you're looking for. I am what you need. I am the only thing, the only one that will satisfy your hunger and that will quench your thirst. What you are looking for is me. God in the scripture, 
He calls himself. He says, I am El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty. El Elyon, the Lord Most High. I am El Olam. I am the everlasting. He says, I am Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. I am Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. I am Jehovah Shalom, the Lord who gives you peace. And God says to you today, let me remind you who I am if you're suffering with fear. If you're afraid, remember who I am. And this is what the psalmist says in Psalm 46. He says, be still and know it that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. Just wait on me. Let me remind you who I am. Be at rest, be at peace because I'm gonna be exalted. The day will come when I will be exalted. I think this is why that song Waymaker has been so powerful in our churches of late, right? We come into the building and we come bearing heavy burdens and we come bearing guilt and maybe shame and we come bearing just responsibilities and the cares of life and broken relationships and maybe addictions that we or our loved ones struggle through. And we come with all of this heaviness and so consuming and it chokes us out. But we come and we start singing a song, Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper. That is who you are. And our focus, our attention is taken off of our problems for a second and we place our eyes on the Lord. And we worship him when we say, that's who you are. My problems aren't any bigger than you are, Lord. You're bigger than all of my problems. So first we see Abram struggling with fear. Secondly, if you're taking notes, we're gonna see Abram struggling with doubt. And his doubt stems from the fact that he feels like God hasn't come through the way he said he would. God, you made me a promise, and you haven't kept it. See, some Bible commentators actually believe that the promise that God originally gave to Abram, that he would be the father of many nations, happened when Abram was 50 years old. Those same commentators say that it was about 25 years later when he finally left Ur. He finally left and went out to the land that God had promised. And by this time, in Genesis 15, Abram is 85 years old. So it's been 35 years, according to some commentators, 35 years since the promise was originally given to Abram that he was going to be the father of many nations. And now look at what he says here. Verse 2. Genesis 15, but Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless? What good is any more reward? You said that you're gonna give me a great reward? I don't want a reward. I have no one to share it with. I have no one to leave it to. He goes on, he says this, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, behold, you've given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. I have a servant that is in line to receive my fortune because you haven't given me the promise that you promised those many years ago. See, here's the issue. Abram is struggling with doubt because God didn't do what he said he was gonna do fast enough for Abram. I want you to realize this, that God's will outside of God's time is not really God's will at all. You understand that, don't you? You can't say that you want God's will and demand when it takes place. Right. It's not possible. God's will only happens in God's time. That's why it's such a beautiful thing when Jesus says to his disciples, you want to know how to pray? This is how you should pray. Pray, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
That's a surrendered prayer. God, I'm not trying to force my opinion on you. I'm not gonna tell you what you need to do. I want you to tell me what needs to take place. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That's a powerful prayer. And just in case you wondered whether or not Jesus was able to pray that prayer when it mattered, the Garden of Gethsemane proves it. He's sweating drops of blood. The cross is awaiting him. He says, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Absolute surrender. God's will at God's time. That's the way I want to be able to pray. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.